Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. International and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak. I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tonight we're going to be looking at a very difficult subject, and that is the issue of suicide, uh, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Uh, so during tonight's show, we're going to be taking a look at some of the warning signs of a person who is suicidal, what scripture has to say related to this topic, and the important role of hope in overcoming thoughts of suicide and death. So as I said, it's important that we're aware of the warning signs and red flags related to someone who might be contemplating suicide. We also need to know what to do if we are seeing these signs in a friend or in a loved one. Suicidal threats need to be taken very seriously. It's always better to err on the side of caution when dealing with someone who is displaying the warning signs. And it is a reality that a significant number of people, including people of faith, consider committing suicide at one point or another in their lives. And I personally believe that Satan has his ultimate victory when he can get a Christian to self-destruct and commit suicide. Thoughts and perceptions can become so distorted in a person who is pondering suicide that they're no longer able to see any light or any hope. And it can be difficult to understand for some people why anyone would even consider such an option. But if they're lacking hope and they're not able to see past their problems, sometimes they will allow their mind to go there, and sometimes they may even act on those thoughts. This is why I'm calling today's program a permanent answer to a temporary problem. Because no matter how bad off we are or how hopeless things seem, there's always, always hope in God. Remember that scripture says that trials will, quote, come to pass in our lives. It does not say that they will come to stay. With God's grace, strength, and power that only he can provide for us, we can have victory over the very trials that threaten to overwhelm us the most. So let's take a look now at those who are most vulnerable to suicide and suicidal thoughts. The number one group of people is, believe it or not, the elderly. And number two is teenagers. In fact, for teenagers, it's the second highest ranked killer of kids 18 years and under. Some reasons why a person may commit suicide, and really it can boil down to two basic reasons, is first of all, They believe that it's the only way out of their current situation and the only way to make the pain stop. And secondly, they may believe that there's no hope left 
and I'll touch on the role of hope uh, in depth further on in a few minutes. A person who's contemplating contemplating suicide has a feeling of ambivalence. And what I mean by that is ambivalence is a confusing mixture of emotions. People may think that they want to die, but they also want hope and reasons why they shouldn't. So it's this struggle that has prompted the person to hopefully seek someone to talk to about it. In a sense, they want you to try to talk them out of it and give them a reason why they shouldn't do it, even though they may display the opposite reaction. Some judgments that circulate about suicide include that, one, it's a selfish act, and two, it's been also called the ultimate running away. These beliefs come from the fact that the person who commits suicide neglects the strong impact that their decision may have on those around him or her. One method of intervention is to get the person to focus on others rather than on them. This causes the person to look at life from another person's perspective and to see the self-focus of this act um, so that they can stop focusing on themselves and uh, see what another person is going through. And this is important. If you know someone who you suspect may be considering suicide, please take it seriously. Ask the person if he or she would be willing to go in for an evaluation by a mental health professional. If not, and if you believe that the threat is serious and imminent, you need to call 911 and contact the authorities. Let me talk to you now about some keys in determining the seriousness of a suicidal threat. But again, this ultimately needs to be assessed by a medical professional. But I'm speaking to you now as uh, as uh, a therapist, but to an audience that I assume um, has many uh, people that aren't in the medical profession and that are um, friends or loved ones of someone who is in a very dark place or maybe someone who is in a very dark place is listening themselves right now as well. So if you're in the position of... Um, the place of having a friend or loved one who is contemplating death, first of all, find out about their past. Has this person contemplated suicide before? If they have tried in the past, the chances are then higher that they may go through with it. They might be more determined than someone attempting suicide for the first time. Also, have any family members or friends uh, tried to kill themselves in the past? Be aware about losses in relationships failures, and deaths of loved ones. In the mental health field, we call this a, quote, cluster effect, unquote, when a person commits suicide and then several peers follow suit. And teenagers will often exhibit this type of behavior when a peer at school commits suicide. Also, try to find out about their present situation. Does the person have a plan? And if so, is it specific or general? And an example of a general plan might be, I wish the world would end. That's more of a general statement uh, that they're, they're troubled very deeply. Or a specific plan might sound something like, I'll make sure that he or she will be sorry that they broke up with me. So that's more specific in nature. So it's important to kind of um, have some idea as to the difference because sometimes people will make cavalier statements about, oh, I just want to die or I just want this to be over with or 
you know, my life's horrible. And th- those aren't necessarily suicidal threats. A lot of us have said things and moments of frustration that certainly wouldn't qualify as a suicidal threat. Um, so it's important to ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment when you're working with a person or um, talking with a person who is expressing things like this. So find out um, if this person has the means then to carry out a plan, if they do have a plan. For example, um, do they have access to pharmaceuticals, Um, you know, especially uh, potent pharmaceuticals and pills? Do they have a weapon uh, available to them, an immediate weapon, a gun, something like that? And again, if the threat is imminent, intervention is needed, and contact needs to be made with the authorities without a doubt. Let me point out now some more signs that you can look for if you suspect that someone you know and love might be struggling with suicidal thoughts. So like I just said, a past attempt might be an indication and a suicidal threat an indication. The more recent the threat generally, and again, this is a generalization, the more significant the threat, although past threats should never be discounted or minimized. Is there a method, a plan for attempting it, as I mentioned before, Are you noticing changes in the person's behavior, such as is he or she giving away or selling their items? Are they uh, planning arrangements for um, a ceremony or a funeral? Are they buying life insurance out of the blue? Are they making up a will, although that in and of itself certainly doesn't indicate um, that they're having suicidal thoughts? But those types of things taken together, changes in behavior, can sometimes be indicative because actions really speak louder than words in cases like this. Also, are there situational stressors in the person's life, such as chronic health conditions, financial distress, death of a loved one, loneliness, a divorce, or marital stress? Are there family indicators? That is, is there presence of a depressive or dysfunctional family or a family wherein the suicidal member has been targeted for anger and aggression in the past? So there's many um, emotional indicators, too, that might allude to the fact that a person may be considering suicide, and really the emotional indicators are are so numerous. I'm just going to be able to list a few, uh, trying to hit the most important ones. Um, Depression, uh, hopelessness, worthlessness, despair, isolating, spending a lot of time by themselves, excess fatigue, sleeping a lot more than usual, feeling unimportant, and they've got nothing to uh, contribute to society. These are all types of indications um, that something much deeper could be going on. And ironically, some depressed people actually commit suicide not at the bottom of their depression, but when they first start to feel better. And clinicians believe that this is sometimes because they feel that the good feelings won't last. So there's some irony to the fact that on the upswing um, is when some people who are severely depressed actually then do go through with a decision versus um, at the bottom of the pit that they are in. So that's something to be be aware of as well. Um, let's uh, continue to look now at some signs uh, that a suicide attempt might be possible or imminent. Sometimes a history of mental illness can be a huge indicator. In particular, there are certain psychiatric conditions such as depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, which uh, used to be known as manic depression, um, and uh, other uh, severe personality disorders can carry a higher prevalence of suicidality. 
Um, also, a family history that includes one or more suicides is sometimes an indication. And again, these tend to be generalizations that I'm giving you. Remember that each specific situation is unique. So I'm just throwing out some generalizations, and although I don't like to generalize, um, for the purposes of uh, time and a presentation like this, um, it's, it's unfortunately a necessity to do so. Uh, some people will feel that, quote, suicide just runs in my family, and sooner or later it has to come to that for me. But the bloodline of Christ can be drawn, and the person can break any family line assignments targeted at their family, or even, in some cases, generational curses will need to be addressed. So the spiritual side of this um, is a whole other topic, but one that I don't want to minimize or downplay in any way because, as I said, the enemy, enemy of our soul, uh, as, as believers, we are in the crosshairs of his radar, and he um, wants to try to destroy lives. And as I stated earlier in the program a few minutes ago, um, this is something that for him would be an ultimate act of self-destruction for someone who claims to believe in Christ to then take their own life. Um, but it does happen. And so uh, no one should ever adopt the attitude that just because their ancestors or their parents maybe struggled in an area that they will automatically be doomed to struggle with those same issues. By the power of the blood of Christ, these things can be broken. And if you're someone who's listening right now that has a family history of this, know that that does not have to be your ultimate destiny, that God has so much more for you. He has life for you and life to the full and life to the abundant. And that's my, my whole goal tonight is just to show you that there is hope, that it is not as bleak as it seems, and that if you've tuned in to this program and you're wrestling with these thoughts, it is not a coincidence that this is what I'm talking on. God had has ordained for you to be listening right now. And so I just want to encourage your heart and to continue and bear with me through the rest of this program because there is hope. Let me share with you now some scriptures that offer us explanation as to some purposes behind why we go through, because really suffering and pain, um, when a person becomes overwhelmed by it, is what leads down the road of suicidal thinking, where they might start to entertain thoughts of, well, it would be better if I weren't here, or they might start even praying to die. I've had some clients that have confessed to me that they've, they've been praying uh, that God would take them home, um, and these types of things. Um, so trials and suffering and pain are obviously um, the core reasons uh, and lack of hope why anyone would want to try to take their own life. So these are not always easy to process, these scripture verses, but please bear with me here. Uh, James 1 says, We suffer so that God may teach us patience. Second Corinthians 1, So that we might comfort and encourage others. Philippians 3, so that we may share in Christ's suffering. And as we're here now in the middle of Holy Week um, and just coming up on Good Friday um, and talking about the suffering that he went through when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering to the point of uh, sweating drops of blood, which actually is um, a medical condition that can happen when someone is under so much pressure and stress that um, the capillaries actually burst and they, they sweat out blood mixed with water. Um, 1 Peter 5, so that we, we may be strengthened. 
uh, by trials, 2 Timothy 2, so that others can be saved, Romans 8, to conform us to Christ's 2 Corinthians 1, to move others to comfort and pray for us, Psalm 30, to motivate us to learn to go to God for help, and James 4, to allow us the tangible experience of God's presence. So those are just some of the reasons that scripture uh, gives that might explain why God allows suffering at times in our lives. And remember, too, that the Bible says that death is our enemy. All goes back to the high treason that was committed in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve. Death was not in the picture when they were created. Um, Death came upon us as humanity when they chose to sin and and, uh, disobey God and then um, death entered at that point. Um, so we were never created, if you will, to even have to go through death. Um, so this is um, just another aspect from a theological perspective that uh, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden um, from that, because God says that death is indeed an enemy. So I want to, to now look back, um, or look through rather, to hope. Um, which I believe is a key to overcoming suicidal think- thinking. Proverbs 13:12 says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life." And that's such an important verse as we discuss tonight's topic because hope deferred, uh, deferred means to be delayed or to put off, um, makes the heart sick. So literally, can bring on a, a whole host of different emotionally based or affective uh, mental health issues, including depression and anxiety and so forth. Uh, But when something you're longing for is finally fulfilled, it brings life to you. Um, It causes a tree of life. And so I just find that that juxtaposition very interesting as we're looking at what lack of hope does. It makes the heart sick. And maybe in some cases it makes the heart want to no longer to continue to be uh, uh, living. Um, But when a longing is fulfilled, it brings life. So hope can be defined then as an attitude towards the future. It's an assurance that God's promises will be kept, a confidence that what is bad will pass, and that what is good will be preserved. The turn towards suicide hinges on lack of hope. And this lack of hope can be chronic, meaning part of one's internal history, or acute, meaning that the hopelessness is due to an overwhelming situation or an external threat to someone's well-being. So a chronic lack of hope marks someone who feels incompetent to handle the stresses of life. And an acute lack of hope, on the other hand, means that life has gotten out of control, and even though the person might feel competent, his or her emotional and spiritual resources have been depleted and drained. So chronic and acute lack of hope also occur contemporaneously or simultaneously. And I need to stress, too, that the potential for suicide is directly related to losing hope in one's circumstances, especially when the individual has a chronic sense of failure in mastering his or her life. So suicide occurs when there appears to be no available path that would lead to a tolerable existence on earth. In other words, when circumstances look hopeless and an individual has little sense of personal success in handling life, the potential for suicide rises significantly. So those two pieces combined 
um, really are the recipe for the worst case scenario. Uh, when someone views their circumstances as hopeless and a person who is overwhelmed in their ability to try to handle life anymore. The suicidal person has decided at this point that life is unbearable. He or she feels cornered by life and sees no way out. The person may feel cynical about his or her own dreams because he or she no longer has any power to realize them, at least that's the perception. Um, and they may feel powerless and hopeless and everywhere they look, there's pain and more pain. There are some issues found in scripture that can uh, point to suicidal thinking um, and actually can, uh, they actually address it um, in, in direct and indirect ways. Um, so in 1 Samuel 31, King Saul and, and Bimelech, uh, Bimelech rather, in Judges 9.54, it's alluded to there. Matthew 27, we have the example of Judas who hung himself. And 1 Kings 19, Elijah, who ran away and wanted to die. And then in Job, chapter 3, uh, is devoted to Job's insistent wish for death. Job wants to be at rest and quiet and free from the demands of his life. He suffers and he feels bitterness. His way is hedged in, and he's full of fear and dread and turmoil. And so in that case as well, Although he never acted on those thoughts per se, um, certainly he had so many reasons with all of the circumstances that were closing in on him that certainly um, he had many thoughts about the reason for his existence as is stated in the book of Job. Two principles for increasing hope, as stated by Reverend Charles Swindoll, are the following. First of all, he says that nothing is stronger than God's promises. Both God's unchanging purposes and his unshakable covenant with us make it impossible for God to ever go back on his word. Thus, quote, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, as Hebrews 6.19 tells us. The soul is not self-anchoring, meaning that it needs something outside of itself on which to fasten. Many depressed and suicidal people are anchored to the reassurances of other people in order to feel that they're worthwhile. And this is a dangerous trap and can be a very unstable way to live. Uh, the person instead needs to be anchored to Christ, who is unwavering and immovable. It says that God, that there is no shadow of turning in God. He's the Father of light. So we need to be anchored to what is unchangeable, which is our God, our ultimate shepherd, and our hope. The second principle for increasing hope, as Swindoll points out, is the person needs to learn to live from the future. And I'll explain what that means. Living from the future means refusing to define ourselves as less than what we will be when we stand before God. Living from the future means living at the edge of glory and rejecting the attempts made by the world, the flesh, and the enemy to bring us down. God wages war on our despair by loving us into the future, by opening us up to infinite possibilities that he has in his great plans for us. And therefore, we are invited to live not in the future, but from it. So to have that perspective that God has so much in store for us once we get through our current trials can really help bolster a person and undergird that scaffolding or that structure in them of hope and really help to edify them spiritually. 
I'd like to talk now about a few interventions or ways to deal with someone you may know who may, might be contemplating suicide. You may begin by asking the person, what would change your mind? The question helps the person to begin to think about other alternatives. In addition, it usually reveals the distorted thinking process that goes on within the person, which causes them to feel so desperate as to want to end their lives. For example, the person might indicate that, for example, nobody cares for me anyway. So this is your chance to challenge that false belief. And this is a statement that can be challenged because you, as their friend or loved one, care about them. And God cares, and they're bound to have be, have other friends and family who care as well. So pointing that out to them is a great way to challenge that thought that they feel that no one would care anyway if they left this earth. So hearing that somebody cares may be a key step to turn the feeling of hopelessness around. Another example might be that this person feels worthless or excessively guilty. These thoughts can be challenged with the concept of forgiveness, uh, forgiving themselves perhaps if they feel that they've done something that's just unforgivable, and the idea that they are worth so much that Christ died for them. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can also explore the social support system in that person's life, which is very important to get people through difficult times. Who is a safe person for them? Ask the person to agree to meet with or talk to that person as, who, as soon as he or she can. Uh, and encourage them to be honest with their support person about the feelings they're having of wanting to end their life. You might need to contact these support people directly on their behalf, depending on uh, what the, the person is capable of at that time, and instruct them uh, as to where to take the person for a professional intervention or therapy if he or she becomes um, suicidal to the point where you fear that it will be imminent. I want to say a word now about outside intervention, which might be necessary when a suicide threat is deemed Imminent. Sometimes it can't be determined with a reasonable amount of certainty that the person will be safe. They may hedge or outright not agree to be safe. And in this case, you always have two alternatives if you've gotten involved with such a situation. And as a clinician, we have a certain assessment tool that we use to determine or at least to try to discern uh, whether this is an imminent threat for suicide uh, or whether the person is just struggling deeply in depression. But one thing that you can do is to take this person uh, to an emergency room or to a hospital that has a psychiatric um, inpatient unit for voluntary mental health treatment. And this is really the best case scenario because then you don't need to involve outside parties. Getting a person to agree to go with you and to voluntarily uh, be admitted for a brief period of hospitalization so that they can get the help that they need is a much better option um, than the other option, which I'll discuss in a moment. It's a good idea to get a family member or a trusted friend involved at this point as well. Um, and if the family or friend is available, or if the family or friend is you, you can take or transport that person to the hospital and then ensure that they're properly admitted. Don't just drop them off. Um, sometimes people will not stay and will walk back out. And, and then I've heard, of course, in my field, many stories of, of disastrous um, things that have happened um, as a result. So taking them to a hospital and ensuring that they're admitted is important. 
And secondly, and this is the most serious of interventions, um, involves police contact. So if the person cannot agree to safety uh, and they will not consent to treatment in a hospital and they battle you on it and you believe that their, their threat is imminent and they do have a plan, your only alternative is to contact the police. And this will result in what's called an emergency detention or in the state of Wisconsin where I practice, a chapter 51 as it's known. The person will be taken to a psychiatric hospital and detained uh, for evaluation for up to 72 hours. Um, and then after that, a court hearing will determine what treatment is needed. So that is a, um, obviously a more aggressive and, and a more invasive um, intervention, but one that is absolutely necessary if you believe that this person is a threat to themselves um, and if they are refusing to get help. So in my practice, I've had to deal with this uh, multiple times, and it's a process that can become fairly, uh, fairly involved, but saving a life is worth anger or pushback from everyone involved, uh, whether family members or the person themselves. It is always better to err on the side of caution. So let's turn to a brighter note now and look at some scriptures in the Bible which are packed with hope. And these are wonderful verses for anyone struggling with suicidal thoughts or even depression. The whole of our Christian life is built on hope. God generously supplies us with reasons why we should keep on hoping when all of our circumstances scream out to doubt him or even to just give up. Romans 8, 24, and 25 says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for the saints. Hebrews 6.19 states, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure, as I alluded to before. And 1 Peter 1, 3 and 13 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled and set your, your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Scripture is also filled with declarations that hope lies in God himself. For example, Psalm 25, verses 4 through 5 says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Also, Isaiah 40, verse 31 stands on this by saying, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Often, hope is conveyed by the idea of waiting on God. And many of us are not very good at waiting and don't even care for that word. But waiting is actually an active posture. You are looking to God with expectation. It's not just sitting around um, with sort of the wish that things will eventually get better in your life. You are expecting that God will turn things around for you, and it is okay to tell him that. We need to 
pour out our hearts to him because in that process we can achieve healing for ourselves. He already knows what's in our hearts, but in the pouring out of our hearts, like David so often in Psalms, he arrives at um, conclusions that are much more positive and he arrives at points of joy and, and rejoicing and happiness, even though he may start out a Psalm in misery and depression and angst. So it's so important to just pour your heart out to the Lord if you're in the midst of something that feels overwhelming because he is your rock and he hides you under the shelter of his wings and he will keep you safe if you cry out to him. Um, Psalm 40 verse 1 states, I have waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. So a hopeful person tends to be strongly protected against suicide. Let's look now at something that Reverend Swindoll says about God and how he meets our deepest longing. A longing fulfilled, a thirst quenched, a hunger satisfied, these are the signs that God responds to his children. Hope flies on these wings. The problem with longings is that we tend to confuse the trivial, the important, and the vital. Trivial longings can be seen as outward accolades like, material wealth, popular acclaim, or good standing in your community, those important longings are those for, for example, for the love of a spouse, children, or for friends. But the only vital longing is that for intimacy with God. God's priority is to draw us toward this vital relationship with himself. He may even at times preclude the fulfillment of our trivial and important longings, only if that's necessary, to draw us towards true closeness with him. He wants to be in face-to-face, heart-to-heart relationship with each one of us. In him alone, we find the vital answer to our soul's cravings. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4.19 says. God reveals himself as one who loves to meet our needs and give us hope and also tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows, as James 1.17 states. As we start to wrap up now, let me share with you some aspects of learning how to grieve if a suicide has, in fact, taken place of a loved one in your life. The grief of those left behind after suicide is extremely complicated, and it's complicated by larger amounts of anger and guilt than grief over other forms of death. Um, Working through grief from suicide usually involves an intense and very emotional process. Uh, that has much complexity. Uh, Grief involves several stages, and eventually, at the end, the readjustment to the environment in which the deceased is missing, followed by the formation of new relationships down the road. Um, One important point I want to make is that many people feel guilty about resuming their lives after a loved one's suicide. They feel that no matter how long they wait, they're somehow trivializing the death if they go on with their lives. However, putting one's life life on an indefinite hold simply compounds the issue. 
So it's so important to process all aspects of grief with a trusted loved one or a professional and express uh, the, the anger um, that is typically there on the, the person, the survivor, uh, as they may very much feel that they have been left behind or abandoned. So the typical stages of grief tend to play out as follows. Uh, first of all, there is denial and shock and then pain followed by guilt and anger, then bargaining with God. For example, if you'll bring my loved one back, God, then I will do so-and-so for you. Then depression, then looking back, followed by loneliness, and that leads into transition, rebuilding, acceptance, and then finally hope. So these are kind of an expanded version of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model of the five stages of grief, which we're more typically familiar with. But um, if you'd like more detailed info on the grieving process um, and how it works, please feel free to access. Uh, I, I did a, a radio broadcast several months ago on the issue of grief and comfort, um, and it's available on demand, archived from last fall at this same link if you're interested in learning more about how to process grief and loss in your life. So as we close, I'd like to read to you now an illustration called The Eagle. Did you know that an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it breaks? The eagle will fly to some high spot and wait for the winds to come. When the storm hits, it sets its wings so the wind will pick it up and lift it above the storm. While the storm rages below, the eagle is soaring above it. The eagle does not escape the storm. It simply uses the storm to lift it higher. It rises on the winds that bring the storm. So when the storms of life come upon us, and all of us will experience them and have experienced them and may be experiencing them even now as you're listening, we can rise above them by setting our mind and our thoughts and our hopes on God. God alone enables us to ride the winds of the storm. But remember, too, it's not the burdens of this life that by themselves weigh us down. It's how we choose to respond to them. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. We've walked through a very challenging and painful topic together, and I don't take that lightly. So if you or a loved one is struggling um, in the area of having suicidal thoughts or urges, I ask you to please get immediate professional help. There is hope, and your world will look brighter once again. Please allow me to close this in prayer. Father God, I just come before you, Lord, and I just pray that everyone who's listening to this broadcast would be touched now in their heart, Lord. Where there has been hopelessness, Lord, replace it with your hope. Where there has been sorrow, Lord, I ask that you bring joy. Where there's been darkness, Lord, I ask that you bring your light of life, Lord God. I pray that you would minister to each heart, to each person, whether they are someone who is contemplating death, who is depressed, who is thinking about suicide, or self-destructing or self-harm, or if it's someone listening, Lord, that has just lost a loved one to suicide or is the friend of someone who's considering suicide, Lord God. We just pray, Lord, that they would just sense your presence with them, your strength with them, your uh, grace and your mercy and your absolute power 
to help pull them through this difficult time, Lord. I just pray that you would touch each one that's listening in the way that they need it in your customized way right now in this moment as they are listening. And we just ask God that uh, there would be a hope that that spreads forth from this broadcast that bears much good fruit now and into future days, Lord God, as they realize that suicide is indeed a permanent answer to a temporary problem, Lord God. I just pray that you would fill all the listeners, Lord, with your hope, show them your love, and reveal yourself to them in ways, Lord, that they are not even expecting, Lord. I just pray this now in your glorious and holy name. Amen. So I hope you will join me again in two weeks for my next broadcast. And if you would like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call me at 414-254-9862 or visit my website at www.healing-word.com. Thank you very much, and God's richest blessings be upon you. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.